0: Well, we're in the third message in the uh, powerful Proverbs in a pandemic. And tonight we're looking at a very interesting but important subject on addressing your anger, my anger, our anger. And uh, we'll be jumping around a lot in Proverbs, but we're in Proverbs 16, 32, and Proverbs 19, verses nine through 12. Before um, I came in uh, to, do this service, I was looking at Bill Ellis' post early Thursday morning and uh, had a great article on his Facebook page entitled, Are You Letting the Devil Walk into Your Home? Are You Letting the Devil Walk into Your Home? And and let me just read a paragraph out of it, because I think it fits right into what we're talking about with anger that is so predominant in our culture today. Our home is our first church. It's the anvil where life and faith is hammered out. If we are to be warriors, the battlefront is first and foremost in the battle for our families, but we better know the enemy. If we're not careful, very, very careful, we can open up doors in our home for his advance. We can let him take advantage of us and gain access in the place we least expect it and do not want it. And Paul talks about, Bill goes on in this article to talk about the three areas that Satan gets access, and one is deception, two is anger, and three is unforgiveness. And we're going to deal with some of those just in this message, overarching ideas in this message. But we are in an angry time and an angry culture. Uh, COVID has accelerated that. Uh, The culture has accelerated that. Politics has accelerated that. Social media has accelerated that. I mean, everywhere we turn, there are people that, if you put on their tombstone, what they were about this year, it would be they died ticked off uh, we've just got a lot of angry people, but God has a word about anger and how we deal with it. Uh, we all agree it's not getting any better. There's there's spousal abuse, there's child abuse, there's domestic violence, There's we get angry watching the news, we get angry sitting in traffic, we get angry in the grocery store line uh, at a traffic light, we get angry about social issues, and injustice. Kids throw temper tantrums. Teenagers slam the door. I mean, we see evidence of anger everywhere. As I was looking through my files, I found this article from USA Today in July of 2000 by Karen Peterson entitled, Why is Everyone So Short-Tempered? Look at what she says. Leading social scientists say the notion the nation is in the middle of an anger epidemic that in its mildest forms is unsettling and at its worst turns deadly. The epidemic rattles both those who study social trends and parents who fear the country is at a cultural precipice. We have lost, and much because of anger, our moral, our ethical, our biblical bearings Uh, within the home, within the church, and within the culture, but there is appropriate anger. Paul talks about in Ephesians, be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. What Paul is saying is that uncontrolled anger does give the devil an opportunity to get into your heart, to get into your home, into your conversations, and the devil will look for every weapon he can to blow up a situation. Anger in and of itself is not sin. Uh, Psalm 7 and verse 11, God is angry with the wicked every day. When God is angry, it did not lead him and does not lead him to sin. There is a wrath against anger because it's a sin against the holiness of God. And so wrath is the effect of sin, but mercy is the character of God. It's like two sides of the same coin. God's wrath is a settled opposition of his holiness to evil. So there's an appropriate anger. God's wrath and God's anger are mentioned 300 times in the Bible. Our God is a consuming fire. When his character or his name is marred or maligned or discredited by a lost world and a godless society, he rises up against that. Whether it's the children of Israel worshiping the golden calf or Noah and the ark and the flood over sin, or Jesus driving the money changers out of the temple, or even Jesus rebuking the disciples for trying to keep the children away, or Jesus speaking against dead religion. There is a righteous indignation. There is a righteous anger. Proverbs 19 and verse 9, "'A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who tells lies will perish.'" Luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less for a slave to rule over princes. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like the dew on the grass." What the writer is saying is a man's discretion makes him slow to anger is the same thing as Paul saying be angry and sin not. Know how far to let it go and know what to really be angry about. Now think about the book of Acts. When Paul uh, shows up in uh, Athens, there's a spirit in him that was stirred up in Acts chapter 17. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill said, Paul was angered at the sight of Main Street in Athens, watered, covered, walled in the temples with false gods. J.B. Phillips says it this way, While Paul was there, his soul was exasperated beyond endurance at the sight of a city so completely idolatrous. We should hate what sin has done to us and to this world what the devil has done to us, what the demonic influences have done to us, what hatred has done to us. But there's an appropriate response to it. Paul was angry at the power of false religions at how the devil had blinded the minds of unbelievers, at the devotion of the people to empty idols. He was frustrated that people just did not see their need for the grace and love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, that the intellectuals mocked the resurrection. Now, the second thing is we need to agree that there is a problem. It's one thing to be angry. It's another thing for that anger to control us. And we cannot cross the line and let anger speak for us and turn sinful. Proverbs 16 in verse... 32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. To rule our spirit takes the Holy Spirit. It takes the controlling power of God in our life. You see, our temper is the one thing we lose, but we never really lose. You know, somebody says, I lost my temper. Well, we don't really lose it because we get it back, and we lose it, and we get it back, and we lose it. I love this quote from Will Rogers. People who fly into a rage seldom make a good landing. So let's look at some verses in Proverbs. Proverbs 14 17. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly and a man of evil devices is hated. In your notes you'll see a point how does anger express itself let's just look at a couple. First of all, bitterness. Feelings of resentment that we think we've been wrong. Bitterness. The the book of Hebrews talks about a root of bitterness growing up inside of us, and that root will bear fruit of bitterness. We just never get over it, and just the thought or mention of an event or a person brings anger to us. Wrath. The Greek word for wrath means to burn. A lot of people have a slow burn, <clears throat> and anger smolders just under the surface. It, it's easy for you know the switch to be triggered. Explosive anger—that's that's when it just comes out. That's when it just comes out in rage. We, you know, we grit our tree, teeth and we try to hold it in, but at some point it it just explodes. Evil speaking. That's when there's loud confrontational speech. I hate you. I should have never married you. I wish we'd never had kids. I can't believe you got into this. It's your fault. These are cruel words that that we can't take back. Proverbs 15 and verse 18, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. You see, if we have a short fuse, something's always blowing up. Next, defensive speech. Quick to defend ourselves. Proverbs 25 and verse 8. Do not go out hastily to argue your case. Otherwise, what will you do in the end when your neighbor humiliates you? What Proverbs is saying there is we, we need to make sure we have our facts together before we make accusations. Uh, some people have never let the facts get in the way of a good argument. We need to let the facts speak before we speak. I've said this, you've said this. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. (laughs) At the end of the day, I'm not sure I can afford to be that generous. I mean, we need to... We need to watch our speech twenty nine twenty proverbs twenty nine twenty Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So how do we deal with it? How do we deal with anger? How do we get our hands around it? How do we get our hearts in the right place? First of all, we confess it. we We don't deny it. we don't We don't say oh i." I don't have that problem. Other people have that problem, but, but I don't have that problem. It's a problem for all of us, given the right situations and given the right circumstances. It could be you're tired. It could be you're stressful. It, it could be something in your past that gets triggered. Adrian Rogers said, you need not repress it or express it, but you need to confess it. Anger is the master of a person who lives a defeated life. We are told to be angry, again, and sin not. So first thing we need to do is to confess it. Second thing we need to do is to control it, to exercise self-control, Proverbs 14:29. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. When things start to heat up, we have a choice to make. Uh, For some, anger is a control issue. And the truth of the matter is, I can't control anger on my own. I have to yield to the Holy Spirit. I have to confess it and ask the Holy Spirit to control it. And I have to turn it over to Him because I need to know what's right and what's wrong, but I need to express it in the right way. You see, anger is a control issue that rules a lot of homes. It rules cities. It rules gangs. It rules culture. This is more than anger management. We need to resolve to repent so that we can restore a calmness In our hearts. So to control it, I need to resolve that I'm going to repent of it so that I can restore by the grace of God a biblical perspective. Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. James 1, 20, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now we need to address the reasons. And there are four overarching reasons in Proverbs for anger. As we address the reasons, the first one is injustice and humiliation. Injustice and humiliation. Proverbs 15.1, a harsh word stirs up anger. We feel like somebody's done something wrong to us. We feel like somebody has embarrassed us, and they may have. Uh, They may have pushed our button. Uh, We may feel that our rights have been violated. Uh, Peter Wilkes said, anger is our explosive response to a denial of our significance. Our explosive response to a denial of our significance. We, We feel somebody hadn't treated us right. We feel that there's been an injustice, that something's been done unfairly somebody's attacked our worth and so there's injustice and humiliation some people just like to humiliate other people secondly there's imitation now that may seem weird but when you look at what the writer of proverbs says about the wise and the fool uh, if we follow the foolish if we follow the foolish person We're imitating them. And he says in chapter 22 and verse 24, do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Anger is infectious. We become like the people we spend time with. One angry man can stir up a crowd. We can get sucked into the mob mentality. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his anger. And when we get to that point, we rarely step back and evaluate the consequences or how we're looking to other people. Proverbs nineteen nineteen in the Living Bible says a short-tempered man must bear his own penalty— you can't do much to help him. If you try once, you must try a dozen times. So imitation. We spend time with people, we learn their ways, and it becomes a snare for us. Thirdly, frustration. We can get angry out of frustration. If you've ever worked on a car, burned something on the stove, the battery wouldn't start the car, if you've ever found somebody late for a meeting and you sat there and sat there and sat there and they didn't text you or call you or tell you they were running late, I mean, you can get frustrated. You know, just uh, your kids can frustrate you. Your spouse can frustrate you. Life can frustrate you. I mean, on your drive to celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas and on your drive home, there's probably going to be some expressions of frustration. Proverbs 17, 14, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. You see, we build up until we explode. And when we do, it sours relationships. It clouds our thinking. It makes us live an undisciplined life. Proverbs 17, 14 is the Old Testament version of Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. So there's this tie between Old and New Testament about how we need to think when we're frustrated. We need to acknowledge God's help, that we need help. I need it, you need it, we need help. There are times, moments, and seasons in my life when I've just been angry and, and you've had those, and I've had those, and, and your emotions get stirred up, and, and you get frustrated, and, and you feel like things aren't going your way, and, and, and you just get angry, and we need help. We've all been there. We've all been there. Anger is too often justified, and seldom does the angry person look for help. It's listed in Galatians 5.19. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. Notice that anger is in this listing of the deeds of the flesh. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, and factions— There is this battle that goes on between our flesh and the Spirit. There's this battle that goes on between our old nature and our new nature. Our old nature has an appetite for the wrong things. We need the control of the Spirit in our new nature. And what determines our victory or our defeat is which nature is controlling us. Williams translates verse 17 as... These two are opposed to each other so that you cannot do anything you please. Until we acknowledge that we can't handle it, we can't have victory. Paul places anger in this list of adultery and idolatry and sorcery or witchcraft or factions. It's a heart problem. And until we deal with it, we can't overcome it. It's our natural tendency. It's the old man. It happened in the first family of the Bible with Cain and Abel. This dates back to the children of Adam and Eve, and it's been going on for millennia. Romans 12, 19, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You see, it's baited by Satan. That's what Bill Eliff said in in his article that I read at the beginning. He he puts gas on the fire so we don't have a renewed mind. Proverbs sixteen thirty two. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules a spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs twenty five twenty eight. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. And listen, If there's a city without walls or if there's a home without doors and windows, the devil will break in. He will walk right through. Paul says, again, be angry and sin not. Now, here's how we don't fix that. (laughs) I've said these things to try to fix it myself or I've said it to my kids. I've said it to other people. This won't fix the anger issue at the core. Take a deep breath and count to ten. Take a cold shower. Throw something. Bury your face in a pillow and scream. That's not going to fix the anger problem. Uh, If you've ever been in an airport with a delayed flight, you have seen anger come to the forefront. I won't take time to tell you The multiple stories of just watching people when a plane is delayed and they are just frothing at the mouth. And what's amazing is when they come on the speaker and they say, there's a mechanical problem with the plane. And people are angry and I'm thinking, I I don't want to get on a plane where they know there's a mechanical problem. As Charles Lowry would say, I'd like to have the same number of takeoffs and landings. And if there's a mechanical problem that they know about and they don't fix it, there may not be a good takeoff and there may not be a landing at all. And just to see that and you think, look, I mean, we can't fix it. I mean, I can't go out there and help them. I don't know what they're doing. So we just have to sit and wait. And we we just have to wait. It's important that we get God's wisdom to deal with anger. So let me give you some suggestions. Number one, don't try to justify or defend it. Proverbs 28, 13, He who covers his sin will not prosper. Just be honest with yourself. Don't try to justify it or defend it. Secondly, don't take it out on others. Usually we take it out on people that don't deserve it and don't even know why we're angry don't try to take it out on others we have options options that either hurt others or honor god thirdly be the first to forgive ephesians 4 32 be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another just as God in Christ also forgave you. Be the first to forgive. It means I give grace when even it's not deserved. Number four, ask God for the power of the Holy Spirit in you. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. That's one of the evidences of the fruit of the Spirit. So ask God for the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Number five, if you lose control, Confess it to God and the other person. If you lose it, confess it. Number six, pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. That's why you read Proverbs, the difference between wisdom and folly. Oh, I see. This is what a wise person does. This is what a foolish person does. And one of the characteristics of a foolish person is they never get wisdom. They never get wisdom. Number seven, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, the last point, and this is a five-point message, acknowledge there is a time for righteous anger. Billy Graham said in a book he wrote, I think it was in the 1950s, maybe the early 60s, called The Seven Deadly Sins, Billy Graham said, we are to have righteous indignation at sin and corruption and immorality round about us. We are to have righteous indignation at some evil corruption in high places that is uncovered from time to time. The Lord was justifiably angry when he saw people being abused or beaten down or misused or stepped on. When we see people being hurt, there should be a righteous indignation. When we see children being trafficked, when we see children that have to be taken out of a home and put into foster care because of abusive situations or or other situations, it, it should raise in us a righteous indignation that this is not right. God needs to revive our homes He needs to save people from their behavior that's hurting children. When we mistreat children, when we see people who promote filth and self filth and hatred and immorality and pornography and drugs, it should make us angry. But righteous indignation, Adrian Rogers said, take the Christian who is a limp dishrag. He wants no trouble. He doesn't want to make waves. He doesn't want to get involved. Frankly, he could stand an infusion of holy anger. We're not to be limp dishrags in what goes on in the culture. I would remind you of of Andy Andrews' book, How to Kill 11 Million People, and How the Jews Were Killed because Hitler hated the Jews, and he hated uh, the gypsies and others so much, and the church ignored it. The church in Germany, the church in America, the church in the world ignored it. That's wrong. That's being a limp dishrag for fear that it might somebody might get angry at us. We need a little holy anger. Listen to these words, That Adrian wrote in his book on emotions. Where there is holy anger, one is angry at the right time for the right reason in the right place. Were it not for irate Christians, we would have sweatshops where little children slave 16 hours a day, seven days a week. Were it not for righteous indignation, slavery would be practiced in the Western world. Were it not for holy anger, women would be treated as slaves. In our cities across America, we must have a baptism of righteous indignation. We must become angry and sin not. Now, can I add a few things to that list? And these are not political. They're biblical. They're biblical because it's what Jesus did, what the church did when people were mistreated. Let, let me just add a few to the list. Racism should make us angry. Social injustice should make us angry. Disrespect for authority should make us angry. Not treating others with respect should make us angry. People being used by others who have a godless agenda should make us angry. A closing thought. Jesus never became angry when he was mistreated, but he stood up for others when they were mistreated. Jesus never became angry when he was mistreated, but he stood up for others when they were mistreated. Folks, to sum that up, we need to be the champion of people that can't be champions for themselves. And we need to love in ways and stand for things that matter to the God of heaven who hates sin but loves sinners. Father, I thank you that uh, you've told us how to act and how to react. And Lord, we would all admit multiple, multiple, multiple times when we failed at this. Uh, God, forgive us for being angry about the wrong things and not having a righteous indignation about the right things. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit in this climate in which we live, that when we are angry, that we sin not. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.